Everybody else, take your Bibles and turn to First, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. John, just tell me if there's something I need to do. I'm good, okay. Just do my own business and y'all do yours, right? Got it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Continuing our confident stand this morning with the source of confidence. That's what we're looking at today in verses 1 through 5. But first, our memory verse. And we've got more blanks means I'm going to cheat more. Let's see what we can do. May the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17. All right. That was half-hearted, but so was mine. I cheated a lot, so I'm not going to make you do it again. When we start First and Second Kings in just a couple of weeks, I guess two weeks, um, we're going to have one verse for the entire 13 weeks. Uh, we did a better job of memorizing as a, as a church family when we had seven or eight weeks to, to look at a verse instead of just uh, four or whatever it's been. So we're just going to have one verse for that. Um, and then, uh, but that's, that's in a couple of weeks. So get your bookmark and start memorizing. And, and I, I think last time I did a better job of posting the, the slide with the blanks on Facebook so you could practice on there. That's really a great help. It's, it's really what got me to memorize the last one. Celebrations. Uh, Chelsea has already talked about it a little bit. And uh, we're going to have a prayer time at the end that Edda will, Edda, Edda will tell you about after our last song. But we've got three of our own young people going on mission this summer. Uh, really, we have four, and we've adopted a fifth. The, the fourth is uh, a student who comes on Wednesday nights, but uh, doesn't come on Sunday mornings. She attends another church on Sunday mornings, a sister church, but she will be working at Dry Creek. Daniel Skinner will be working at Dry Creek this summer, and... Uh, Chelsea's already told you about Jaden going with Giant Cow Children's Ministries. He's not working on a farm. Uh, it's Giant Cow Children's Ministries. They just wanted a catchy, clever name, and that's what they gave it. And then Hannah will be going with Leader Treks to South Carolina and I think somewhere else at some point, right? Just South Carolina the whole time. All right, got it. Um, and then we've adopted Anna Murray, who is our team leader for Leader Treks. So uh, let me encourage you to take part in supporting them. Uh, I, I put out on Facebook uh, and a couple other places that, uh, in the uh, members group anyway, that they don't receive salaries. Uh, they don't have a, 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 a guaranteed salary. Anna and Hannah have to raise their own money. So whatever they raise, their goal is $4,000 for the summer. And we're trying to help them both get a thousand of that, and then Jaden doesn't get any pay at all. Uh, there's not even a, a, an expectation that they would fundraise, but we want to help him out because he won't be working. 
uh, during the summer either. A giant cow doesn't pay him anything. Uh, Daniel at Dry Creek and then our other student, Eden, uh, they will get paid for Dry Creek. That's why we're not raising money for them. So there's, there's a method to our madness. So if you'd like to give to that, yes, you can text to give or give online and just choose love offering if you're doing it online and write uh, summer mission, type Southern summer missions on there. Or if you're using an envelope, just where it says other on the envelope, write summer missions and we'll know where that goes. If you happen to do love offering, we'll know where that's going too. So uh, encourage you to take part in that. All right. So last week was the comfort of truth. This week is the source of confidence. We're looking at a uh, uh, different idea. Next week is going to be a, a command on dealing with issues in the church. It's going to be dealing with those idle meddlers, is what Paul calls them in the church. But this week, we are getting our source of confidence that really ties those things together. If we have our, uh, the comfort of truth, the reason we can have the comfort of truth is because we have the source. And if we are able to stand against those who were causing problems in the church, in this case, the idle meddlers, uh, or in Thessalonians' case, the idle meddlers, then we can stand against them because we have uh, the boldness to speak from our only source, Jesus, the source of our confidence. And, and notice as we move through, well, it's only five verses in our uh, Bible. It was just a paragraph when he wrote the letter. He uses the phrase, the Lord, four times. Four times in five verses. So as we read this, that should be, have been a refrain that you heard constantly because that is Paul's focus. It's not about our confidence. It's not about our ability to be confident. It's not about our ability to, to uh, straighten our back and, and stiffen our spines and stand up to whatever's happening. It is our inability outside of our dependence on Jesus for that comfort, for that confidence. That's the focus of the passage as we read it this morning. Paul writes, uh, he says at the beginning, verse 1, In addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Paul starts the, the verse with, in addition, uh, finally, he might, it might say in some of your passages, uh, it, Paul is wrapping up his letter. Uh, he's got a whole other uh, chapter uh, in, in chapter 3 that he's going to go through here, but it, it, he's still wrapping it up now. And don't forget that we, we do things in pieces. We, we, I can't preach, I mean I could preach all of the letter on one Sunday, but we'd have to bring in a couple of three meals, uh, have them catered and, and some bathroom breaks for me to get through all of it. 
they, were, they heard it all at once. So they heard about the, the, the comfort of truth, then the source of their confidence, then immediately the command to stand up to some of the problems that were going on in the church uh, at that moment. We have to, and this is why we read in context uh, throughout the week, we have to flow with that seven days apart. So let's, let's not forget that we have the truth. We have comfort in knowing the truth about what's going to happen, who's in charge. We, we have the source of our confidence right there. He's the same one that comforts. He's the same one that gives us truth. He now gives us confidence, and he is the one who commands. Paul begins his, in addition, his final uh, passage here with, Brothers and sisters, pray for us. He's asking for prayer. Paul knows that there is confidence in prayer. Verses 1 and 2 are are all uh, a request for prayer, asking them to pray in a particular way. And, And in a sense, Paul is praying while he asks them to pray. He says, pray for us at the word of the Lord, at the first use of the Lord, the, first, the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. He's really asking for three things here. The first thing he's asking for is a quick gospel spread. He's asking them that just simply may the, the, the gospel, the word of the Lord, may spread rapidly. Now, this, let me remind you, too, that so far in the whole uh, letter, we've only had two imperatives back in measure, uh, measure, I'm thinking music all of a sudden, back in verse 15, stand firm and hold to, those were the first two imperatives, the only other imperative that I'm aware of in this letter now is pray. Stand firm, hold to, and how are you going to do that? Pray. Pray that the gospel will work, spread rapidly. Paul knows his time is limited. It, it's not that at this moment he's concerned about his imminent demise or, or some quick end to his life. But he does know that at any moment somebody, because he's had it happen, can bust in, take him, stone him, cane him, uh, could crucify him. That's uh, a possibility. Uh, the shipwrecks that happened, all the, he knows that life is fragile. And so he's saying, pray that this, this spread of the gospel, this spread of the word of the Lord happens quickly so that, so that I can get it done. It's a lot of work to do, he's saying. It's not all him. He's got missionaries all over the area. He's got Timothy going out at times. He's got Barnabas and, and, and Mark are, are out and, and so many other Epaphras. I mean, we could just go through the list of, of people that he mentions, especially in a letter like Romans where most of chapter 16, I think is the last chapter of Romans, just uh, this guy and this person, this lady, pray for her, pray for him. They're doing this work. They're doing just on and on and on. They're all over the place. But he knows time is of the essence for them. But he also knows nobody's promised tomorrow. 
He knows that they need a rapid spread of the gospel because for some people it's just going to get there too late. They could have heard but didn't. Pray for a rapid spread of the gospel. Part of that rapidity is that it doesn't hit any snags, any road bumps. Now, he's going to talk about that in a second, but then he says, pray uh, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and then be honored. This is a phrase he uses in other places to talk about how uh, churches, how well, they weren't churches at the time, but how folks had received the gospel. They honored the gospel. What he means is just that they will receive it, that they will accept it, that it will be fully internalized for them. He asks pray because the gospel can go out and it can hit all the places but the people you have to respond it it doesn't just magically do something because it 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 was heard it it has to be received and accepted and uh, honored he says pray that that happens pray that when the gospel message is shared that people hear it that, that people really hear it, people respond to it. And pray, lastly, that it is an unhindered gospel work, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. There are an infinite number, is an infinite number, of hindrances to the gospel. The, the, part of the issue is, may it go rapidly, unhindered. Get to as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. May it be received, unhindered. Because the devil will do what he can, and he can do a lot to try to stop the gospel message. I read uh, a Facebook post from somebody I know that was witnessing. He had set up a time to meet with a couple of Mormon missionaries at a coffee shop or something, sit down and talk to them about the gospel. And he said they had a really good conversation, and, and they, he would read them passages from Hebrews and some other uh, places to sort of uh, debunk some of their beliefs, some of their errant heretical beliefs. And he said that the conversation was good. And they, these are passages they had never read, never heard of. And they're missionaries. And they'd never seen these passages. And he said it was obvious the devil was working because midway through this conversation, somebody came up, random, nobody knew them, and thanked the missionaries for all the work they had done because they were so nice to her that one time or something. And the devil just used that opportunity to pump them up and, 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 and make them feel good about their work. It sounds like a nice compliment when instead that is the devil hindering the gospel. He knows a, a lot of ways to do it. He can do it in a church. He can do it in a, in a coffee shop. He can do it in your life. He can do it at work. And Paul says, pray that the gospel goes quickly, that it is responded to when it's heard, and it is unhindered when it gets out there. All of these are made possible by the fact that, he, that Paul knows. It, 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 they are made possible by confidence that when he asks Jesus, or when they ask Jesus, the Lord, 
to, to break down barriers, to speed the, the advance, to stop the hindrances, they have confidence that he will provide those things. Found it. Thank you, John. When I was talking, I couldn't hear it, but every time I took a breath, I'm like, all right, so that's his prayer. He knows that, that confidence comes in prayer. The second thing he knows is that confidence comes in knowledge. Verse 2, he says, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. He's now comparing or connecting evil people and the evil one. You know the two go together. So a hindrance to the gospel, regardless of who it is, is being used by the devil. He's connecting those. But he also does something really neat in Greek that, that we just don't hear in English because the, words, the, the structure of the sentence doesn't work right. He ends verse 2 with, for all not have faith. And then he begins, what is our verse 3, with faithful. He does a little word play. A little, little uh, 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 repetition to, to grab your attention, grab the reader or the listener's attention. Not all are faithful. Faithful is God. Or not all have faith. Faithful is God. The Lord. In this case, he's talking about Jesus. They're going to fail you. They're, they're going to hinder the work. They are going to cause problems. Yet, when you pray, when you ask Jesus, their lack of faith is overcome by his, yours? No, his faithfulness. The Lord is faithful. And this is confidence in knowledge because Paul knows this. Paul knows that Jesus has proven himself over and over and over throughout Paul's missionary career. Paul can go back to when he was not a missionary, when he was an enemy of the Lord, when he was killing the Lord's people, the Lord's missionaries, the Lord's deacons in the case of his at least approval of the death of Stephen. He can go back and, and remember Stephen's message, the, the, the sermon that Stephen preached right before he died. For the deacons that are in the church this morning, did you hear what I just said about the deacon preaching? Why y'all all looking? Y'all know? The sermon that Stephen preached, you know that ran through Paul's head. And he goes, he, he was right. Abraham and all, it just, it all comes to Jesus. And then to, to remember Stephen asking the Lord to forgive them, the one stoning him. Just like the Lord had asked God to forgive the ones crucifying him. That was not lost on Paul. So even before Paul's conversion, Jesus was teaching him 
was proving himself faithful to Paul. Paul is telling them confidence comes in knowledge because Jesus has already proven himself over and over. The Lord is faithful. And what has he proven that he will do? He has proven that he will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. He has proven that he will give them strength when the devil fights. Oh, just read Acts. We, we've, we've done it. We've gone through Acts already. Over and over and over, the devil comes against the apostles. And they're in an untenable situation, an unwinnable situation. Comes against Paul. And it's just, there's no way to get out of this. It's over. It's done for. They're going before uh, Peter, James, and John are going before the Sanhedrin. And what are they going to say? What Jesus told them to say. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Because when you get in that situation, I will give you the words. And they stand up and they give a defense. And the, the guys in the court go, who are these guys? These are uneducated fishermen. How are they able to stand up here and give a, a confident, they didn't call it this, but a confident gospel presentation because of Jesus, because the Lord. And over and over and over, when Paul is in different situations, in different cities, he always had the words. When the, it seemed like the end, when they were, he was stoned or going to be stoned or there was a crowd coming after him, they, they, they slip him out in a, a basket out the wall or he's almost dead and they carry him and put him on a trash pile and he's revived and, and snakes bite and don't do anything and shipwrecks don't. Over and over and over, Jesus will prove himself to Paul. He did to the apostles. He did to the disciples when he was walking with them. Paul says, trust him. The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you when the devil fights. Because stonings and canings and shipwrecks and uh, little, poor little uh, possessed slave girls and charlatans and liars and cheats and all of these are opportunities for the devil to come in and slow the advance, stop the honoring, and hinder any response to the gospel. And Paul says, Jesus will stop it. He's stronger. And if he is stronger, he will give you strength. Now, Paul also knew <laughs> that he still got stoned, and he still got caned, and he, he still was shipwrecked, and the snakes still bit him, and eventually he lost his head. But he knew so long as the Lord wants you in the fight, wants you in the work, as long as he has you there doing the work of the gospel, he will give you strength when the devil comes. And then he takes it a little further. He will strengthen when the devil fights, but he will also guard you. He is your defense when your strength fails. I love that. Uh, it, it was, it's almost unnecessary, but I'm glad the Holy Spirit knew that it was very necessary. That we hear that Jesus fights. 
Jesus, rather, gives us the strength to fight. Jesus empowers us. Jesus gives us the confidence. But can't we all agree that there are some days we are tired of fighting? We're tired of the work. We're tired of the effort it takes to stand up to the devil, to push back against our own sinfulness, much less any work to share the gospel or spread the gospel or the work of the church, the many things that have to be done that that we are called to do as a church family. Sometimes it just gets old and you get tired and you don't want to fight anymore. And Paul says, and when you get to that point, and maybe it's, it's usually going to be my fault for not praying for the strength that I need or thinking that I can do it in my own strength and I'm, I'm doing it, trying to do things without the power of the Holy Spirit. When you get to that point, Paul says, Jesus is also a guard. He stands guard. It's the parent over the napping child completely defenseless but the parent will not allow anything in uh, to the room or it's uh, to use uh, you know to always go my my go-to movie illustrations it's it's uh scamp uh, or tramp in the lady and the tramp who kills the the rat that gets in the room with the baby with with ladies uh, uh, child, the, the child of the family that owns Lady. It, it, the baby has no defense. But there was a guard there. Jesus says, or Paul says, Jesus is your defense when your strength fails. Not only does that give us confidence, I think it takes a lot of the guilt away when we don't have the strength to fight anymore. Paul knew it was coming. Jesus knows it's coming. Jesus knows there will be days when you just can't anymore. And he guards you. That, that's a comfort. Paul says, pray. Pray and have confidence in your prayer. You know who Jesus is. You know what he has done in the past for you. You have confidence in knowledge. Number three, confidence in experience. Not just the experience of Jesus and his work in our lives, but confidence in our own experience of being obedient. Verse four, he says, We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Why does he have confidence? If Paul were writing that to me, I would have said, well, Paul, I'm glad you got confidence because I ain't so sure about me. I know me. And Paul's saying, I know you too. But I tell you who I know better. His confidence is not in the people, right? The you, the y'all there, is the object of a preposition. It's not the subject of, the, of the, uh, the, the verb at all. He says, we have confidence. Where is his confidence? In the Lord. He doesn't say, I have confidence in you. 
And I'm thankful that he doesn't have confidence in me. He says, I have confidence in the Lord about you. I mean, he might as well have said, see, I, I know y'all going to foul it up. I mean, you, you just are, because Paul would say, I have. I over and over and over. I have messed it up, and you're going to, too. My confidence is not in you. My confidence is in Jesus. But it's also in the fact that you've done this in the past. He, he says at the end, we'll continue to do. You are doing, you're obeying right now, and you'll continue to obey. You're, you're obeying right now because you, you did obey. My confidence in is in Jesus about you because you have obeyed and you are obeying and I believe you will obey. It's always nice when somebody else believes in you you may think you're good at something that you can achieve something that, that you can work on something and, and you, you've got in your head that I'm, I, I'm doing better than I thought I could do but I really wish somebody would say you know what you're doing a good job on that oh man thanks I was wondering Paul's saying this to the whole church. He said, y'all, you're, 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 doing, you're doing well. You, you are obeying as you should, and I have confidence that you will continue to obey. Obedience in the past is a good sign, he tells us. I have confidence in the Lord, of course, about you because you have been obedient. But this is also a little, it's not reverse psychology, it's Parallel psychology? It, this is, it, it's an encouragement to remain obedient. Maybe it's kind of like a, a parent telling a child, I know you're, I'm, I'm proud of you for going up and cleaning your room. They, their room ain't clean. I, I'm proud of you for making the decision to go up right now and clean your room. That's a very good decision that I know you're going to make. It, it's, oh, some would say it's manipulative, um, maybe a little. But Paul's setting them up. He says, y'all, you've been obedient, you are obedient. I'm confident you're going to remain obedient. Because he knows in verse 6, he's about to give them some instructions that are going to be difficult for them. It's not going to be easy to stand against the idle meddlers. He's got to tell them, look, you have been obedient, you are obedient, you'll continue to be obedient. I am encouraging you to re remain obedient by congratulating you for being obedient. Paul knows how to use words. Let's not call it manipulation. Let's call it parenting. Because that's what he's doing. But then he, he, he uses this command word. The, with confidence in the Lord, you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Not what we commanded. Notice that. I have confidence in the Lord that you will. You're doing, sure, you're doing what we commanded. But you will continue to do what we 
command. Hey, there's something's coming. There's a command coming. Some more imperatives are coming up in verses 6 and following. They have something to do. And when those commands come, the commands are always right. When Jesus puts words in the Bible and they are an imperative, they are a command, the command is always right. 2,000 years later, the command is always right. Uh, I just read an article yesterday because yesterday was the, I believe, the 100th anniversary of a very famous sermon by a, a preacher named Harry Emerson Fosdick at First Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. Start, church started in 1716. Um, it was the, uh, it's on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. It's, it's a gorgeous place. This sermon was the culmination of the fight between liberalism and fundamentalism. Now, when I use the word fundamentalism, I'm not talking about the, the fundamentalism that says women can only wear dresses and can't wear makeup and King James only. That's a, that's a hyper-fundamentalism that, that most of that I reject Completely, but when I'm what I'm talking about with fundamentalism or the fundamentals or the fundamentals of the faith, those things that in order to be a Christian, you really have to believe these. These are orthodox beliefs: virgin birth, deity of Christ, literal second coming of uh, Jesus, um, and there are two more. Uh, let's see, inerrancy of Scripture, and what am I forgetting, Andy? I don't know, there's a fifth one. All sorts of sermons were preached in the 19-teens and 1920s about it. And Harry Emerson Fosdick got up on a Sunday morning and, and, and basically just blasted all that. He was extremely liberal. He was, uh, he, he, what he said was that the commands of Scripture aren't always right. That, that you need the religion without any of the structure. It, the, the, the faith changes. The religion doesn't, but the faith changes. The, the commands of Scripture right down to uh, faith in Christ for salvation. He didn't believe that. Uh, he didn't believe that you had to have a personal relationship with Jesus to be saved. There was no repentance of sin. The, 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 uh, that's, one, that's the fifth one, penal substitutionary atonement. There we go. That, that uh, Jesus died in our place and we have to accept that uh, salvation. He didn't believe any of that. You could be a Christian in name and in, in flavor, I guess, without any of the... Well, the things that actually make Christians Christian. We, on the other hand, believe that the commands are always right. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, that the, the, the th those things that Scripture says, they hold today. So when Paul says you must believe in Jesus to be saved, we believe 2,000 years later that you still must believe to be saved. That has not changed. When Paul says pray... We believe that means for us to pray. When Paul says that the devil will fight, we believe that the devil will fight. And we believe that when Paul says in the verse 6 that we'll get to next week, now we command you, 
that there is a command for us because Scripture is commanding us. Will it look exactly the same as it did for them? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we have idle meddlers in our church. Regardless, it is a lesson for us to stand up to those who would hinder the gospel, hinder it being honored, hinder it being spread rapidly. And lastly, Paul tells us that there's confidence in hope. Confidence in hope in verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Direct, again, Paul's doing some fun things with language. The word direct here, may the Lord direct. The, it, it, it's in the mood of the word, if you remember your grammar, the mood. It, it's, it's, it's optative, it's a wish. I wish the Lord would direct you. Except when it's used like this, in this sort of situation, it's really a, a command disguised as a wish. Every, again, let's go to parents. I really wish you'd go clean your room. What does that mean? Does that mean that you're just wishing and, and boy, if the fairies come, it happens, poof, and you go clean your room? No, it's you need to go clean your room. I ain't wishing nothing. I'm telling. I wish you'd do it. That's what he's saying. I wish, may the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. What Paul, the confidence Paul has here, this hope, because what's hope? Hope's not wishing. Hope is confident expectation. Paul is certain of Jesus' future leading. He says, may the Lord direct you. Your hearts. May the Lord direct your hearts. Now, is that something that Paul has to doubt? Does Paul really think, and I know the Lord might not direct your hearts. I know he might be too busy. No. What Paul is telling them is, the Lord will always direct your heart. Are you going to listen to the Lord? Are you going to, go back to verse 1, pray? The, the, the command that covers this whole paragraph. Are you going to pray and listen to the Lord? He is certain that Jesus will lead. Will you follow? That's the question. Jesus' leadership is never the question. He's confident that Jesus will lead. He is confident that if you allow your heart to be directed by the Lord, by Jesus... That he will direct your hearts to first God's love. Now, this is not to the love of God. This is to direct us to love like God. Now, if we think about that for a second, of course, we, we think about what kind of love God has. The kind of love that would send his son to die for us unconditional love, love that would give anything, sacrificial love. So if we think of it that way, then how do we then go back and approach verse 1? We pray that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. Well, if I have God's love, if I have unconditional love, I'm not going to want to do anything to hinder that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to want to do as much as I can to encourage that, to, to fuel that. 
We're a part of five different summer missionaries. We're we're a part of the lives of five different summer missionaries this summer going out and sharing God's love. We should do things not just to not hinder it, but to fuel it, to encourage it, to, to push it out there. If I have the love of God, I love of God, love like God. I want that gospel message then to be honored, to be heard. Not, not, not just hearing, but be responded to. So I will pray, as we will at the end of the service this morning, I will pray for Jaden and Hannah and Daniel and Eden and Anna that they will share the gospel, and then that gospel will be responded to this summer. If I love like God loves, then I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I am not a hindrance to the gospel. That begins here. Am I a hindrance to the unity of this church? If you are, then you're a hindrance to the gospel. Am I a hindrance to the people at work? Because what I claim in here does not transpose itself to my workplace. I'm two different people. Then I'm a hindrance to the gospel there. Am I a hindrance to the gospel when I'm in the community? Whether it's being rude to the the waiter or waitress or the checkout person because they're too slow. Or the, the guys changing the tires when they ding the car. Or or any situation, am I showing God's love or something else? If I'm showing God's love, I will not be a hindrance to the gospel. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love, to the love of love like God's, and Christ's endurance. Same thing. We're not just supposed to sit back and say, ooh, Jesus sure did endure good. But instead, we are directed to have, to have endurance like Christ's. Well, let's back up to the first part of the verse, uh, passage again. If I'm praying and, and, and I want the word of the Lord to spread rapidly, then I have a job to do in that. And that job is going to be hard. That job is going to be difficult. But Christ endured all the way to the cross. Hebrews tells us. Despising the shame of the cross. Putting aside, put aside his glory and didn't care about the shame of the cross. He endured the cross. What am I willing to endure? We're asking folks to, to volunteer, to lead uh, projects by your electrical carpentral plumberal expertise and, and help and, and, and show up and, 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 and guide teenagers to do things they may have never done before. This is how you drive a nail straight. <laughs> Fun times. And yet, are we willing to endure like Christ to, to have that opportunity? To rapidly spread the gospel. Are we willing to endure whatever we have to endure in order to see the gospel go unhindered? That means Christians don't get to win. 
We just don't. We, we, we don't get to, to fight the same fights as the world. We don't get to worry about the same things as the world. We have to say, what is best, not for me, not even for my family, not for my community, country, or whatever. What is best for the gospel? And whatever result comes from that, we endure it. Because Christ said, I'll even take a cross to save people. I'll take the shame and the beating and the pain and all that comes with it. Paul says, I have confidence. I have confidence in the Lord that he will direct your hearts to have endurance like Jesus. We read this passage and what we should feel is the same as the church in Thessalonica felt. Paul, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, if I can, all the agape love and cross enduring. And Paul says, my confidence isn't in you, dude. Dudette. My confidence is in the Lord. And if you, First Baptist Church of Sulphur, will trust the Lord, if you will pray, that the gospel goes out rapidly and is received with honor and isn't hindered and you put on God's love and you take on Christ's endurance, you will, he has no doubt, you will be able to stand and do the hard things because we know the source of our confidence. As a believer, many of us did the hard thing one time. We did, made the hard decision of leaving a past life and taking on a new one. We made the hard decision of rejecting the world and serving Christ. And a lot of us did that at an age and in a situation where it wasn't that difficult. As a, for me, as a nine, ten-year-old kid growing up in a Southern Baptist church in a, a, a Christian conservative home with two parents that were married and are still married uh, 50-something years later, 54, 55, I, don't know, I can't even remember at the moment, that's too much math, um, that, it was, that was simple at the time. But then the teen years came, and then the college years came, and I still had to make the decision to do the hard things, to stand against what I knew was wrong, and to stand up for what I knew was right. Some of you, much later in life, when, when the pressures were different and there was no, there was no uh, influence from home and, 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 and maybe no influence from loved ones and very little influence from friends except for maybe one or two, you had to make the hard decision to give up a life to live a new one. This morning, some of you may have to make that decision today. You have to give up your old life this morning and have a new one in Jesus. 
And, and that means a lot of things for you. That means a lot of, 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 of letting go and, uh, and friends that you've got to move on from and, and situations you can no longer be a part of and, and decisions, some decisions that will affect the right now in your life very, very, it seems, negatively. And Paul says, may the Lord direct your heart. I am confident that the Lord will direct your heart. I pray this morning that if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Lord will direct your heart. He will. Holy Spirit's drawing right now. I pray the Lord will direct your heart to Jesus today for you to go to him and and understand as Romans 6.23 says that you are a sinner and because of that sin you deserve death and will receive it. The wages of your sin is death. But the gift of God, the free gift, the continuously offered gift, the gift that you can do nothing to earn and have done nothing to deserve, the free gift of God is eternal life. Not eternal death, which is your wage, is what you deserve, but eternal life, what you do not deserve. But you have to make a hard decision this morning. Will I give up everything for Jesus? Will you believe in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hey, there's, there's the rub, right? That's, that's where it gets hard. Oh, I, I like not getting the wages of death. I, I like that I've got a free gift of eternal life. But I've got to decide. Our prayer this morning is that the Lord will direct your heart to Jesus. In a few minutes, we'll have an opportunity. I'll be over here to my right uh, Amy will be over here to the left to receive you if you want to pray. Uh, we'll have a couple of men in the back that would love to pray with you. Maybe that's your decision this morning is to trust Jesus. You, you have a ne- next step to take, all of us. One of them might be to accept salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We can talk to you about that. Pray through that with you. We had a, a man come to church, come to the office just this week and gave his life to Jesus. He'll be going through our uh, membership, our discovery class here in a few weeks. We'll be baptizing him, and uh, you'll, you'll get to, to celebrate that with him. Maybe you've accepted Christ, but you need to make it public, and by public I mean baptism. Maybe you as a believer need to pray and conform your life to Christ. You have been a hindrance to the gospel by your actions, and you need to change that. Maybe God wants to use you like he's using our 16 to 22-year-olds as a, not just a summer missionary, maybe he's calling you to ministry. Maybe he's calling you to the mission field, something you felt at 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, and now 30, 40, 50 years later, you're tired of running. And you need to submit to God's plan and purpose for your life. Maybe you just want to join our church. Whatever your decision is, we'd love to talk to you about that. You can share it with us on a connection card. You can come forward. You can grab one of us at the end. Or if you're watching online, you can comment on there or send us a message or an email. But we're going to sing now. We're going to have a time of response And we're going to listen to what the Lord says. Pray with me. Father, I thank you that you are constantly working. 
But I thank you even more that you are constantly uh, building, giving endurance, giving us confidence, the confidence to stand. Because, Lord, the source is never depleted. It is never unreachable. Our source is Jesus. And if we will just plug in, if we will just pray, if we will just spend time with our Lord, He will provide everything that we need. And Lord, He will lead us to Your love and His endurance. And God, if we as a church prayed this prayer, we would see sulfur turned for Jesus because we would no longer be a hindrance and, and, and not we wouldn't be neutral about it either we would be workers in the field this white with harvest we would see the lost come to Jesus we would see your spirit move here and throughout our community God may we not wish but know that if we will turn to you and and follow you and let you guide us, we will be a church confident to stand on your word and the gospel message. Lord, move in hearts this morning. Convince us all of where we need to change and show us that next step to take. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's stand, let's sing, and let's take a few minutes to worship and let God work on our hearts.